Hello, welcome to Judge Movie. I'm Ben. I'm Alicia. And today we're at London Film Festival, giving you the first of a three-part episode from Britain's biggest film festival. Uh, today we're going to give you a preview of what's coming up over the next two weeks. Uh, and then next week there's going to be uh, some more sort of on-the-ground chat about the festival and what films we've seen. And in the third part of the trilogy, we're going to give uh, sort of some eyes to the festival and give some of our best picks. But what are we doing today, Alicia? Uh, so today we're going to to try and navigate, you know, the labyrinth of movies. Uh, LFF have divided the, the films into different strands, so we're going to have a look at those strands. They're based around different themes like love, create, journeys, uh, families, family-friendly films, thrills. So we're going to choose our pick, best picks of those strands. And then we're also going to pose some questions um, about the sort of the, the bigger films, the competition films, the strand galas. And then in the third episode, we're going we're gonna to look back at those questions and see what, what we've learned. So what is the first strand? Um, so first up is the first film competition, which is directorial debuts. So, yeah, the first feature competition, known as the Sutherland Award, um, recognises the most original and imaginative directorial debut. Uh, the film that caught my eye is Dead Pigs, which is a Chinese film from Chinese-American Kathy Yan. Um, it's, uh, I think, an ensemble comedy. I think that's the award it won at Sundance um, for Best Ensemble Com- Cast. Um, and it's sort of meant to be a crazy comedy. There's a cute dog in the thumbnail. Um <laughs> Sounds like it's got a lot going on. Uh, and it's described as a wine-raging satire on modern Chinese capitalism. Um, it's got... Yeah, I think there's a lot to find out there. It looks like fun. <laughs> and Kathy Yan's moving on to much bigger projects for her next film, right? Yes. Yeah, while I was reading about this film and getting excited for it, um, found out that uh, Kathy Yan is going to be directing the Harley Quinn film, uh, Birds of Prey film. Warner Brothers in DC. Um, oh, that's not even just Harley Quinn as well. That's like all of them, right? That's yeah, like the, all the gals, the sirens. I yeah, think. Um, which uh, is worrying. You know, these franchise movies have a habit of picking filmmakers who have an exciting debut mm-hmm. and then taking them onto a big blockbuster project, not really giving them as much freedom as you think, and then having a weird creative struggle um, that results in a film that people don't even really like. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit upset to find a first film, com- first feature competition nominee already mm-hmm. caught up in the franchise game. So it kind of seems a bit cynical that they're just going to sort of use somebody who really needs that opportunity. Yeah, and their track record is pretty poor. You know, they they cut up David Ayer's Suicide Squad, they cut up Zack Snyder's films, and they're both established filmmakers. Yeah. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen to her? I mean, it might be amazing. Dead Pigs might be amazing. Maybe mm-hmm. she can. And isn't uh, Chloe Zhao, who made The Rider, she's also signed on for a Marvel, uh, film. Marvel film. Yeah, so what's going on? Well, we know what's going on. But... I mean, maybe, maybe it's good to have that much money. It's job security. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it feels good. Um, so the strand known as love. My choice for this one. What is um, Papi Chulo, uh, by John Butler, which is a it's a sort of cross-cultural comedy drama set in San Francisco or LA, um, and I've just heard good things. I've heard it's like very low-key, very charming, and, and easygoing, um, and it sounds like something 
um, kind of different in a good style vehicle for Matt Bomer, who I think is always uh, an interesting presence. Yeah, that is interesting. I feel like people keep talking about him, but he's not quite had the right project. But mm-hmm. this sounds like it could be interesting. Yeah. Um, but there's another film called Ramjad Chawa, although I want to see. Sorry to do a bit of a Adam, start Adam from Film Sporting Style, uh, two picks. Yeah. A bit of a cheat. Um, that's like a catfish love story that sounds really interesting. Uh-huh. So that's Indian. Um, and it's about someone who uh, is catfishing a, a chap when he then meets the person that's identity they've stolen. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know how that turns out, but it sounds like a cool premise. And I like catfish style stories. Yes, yeah, they are intriguing. Mm. I think there's a few in here that are kind of catfish-themed. Okay, so the next, um, the next category is debate. Yes, so it's films so that kind of trigger debate, I think, or about debate. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. My pick is a documentary called Yours and Sisterhood. Um, it's made by, or it's coming from Women Make Movies. Um, the, the idea behind the documentary is that... Uh, women across America today are reading the letters that were written to the first mainstream feminist magazine. So they're reading these letters that these women wrote then and then kind of answering them, thinking about how they relate to them now. And the trailer looks quite exciting. There's You've got young women sort of relating to young women in the past and the, the participants look like they're quite moved. I think that would be an interesting sort of idea. Maybe also tackling this pr- narrative progression um, and just thinking about maybe things don't always necessarily get better but just thinking about how this experience is kind of uh, so the next category is laugh um i guess that's comedy films um and i chose there's a lot of interesting stuff in there lots of comedies from all over the world so that's always fun to see lots of different kinds of comedy mm. um, i've already seen one called crystal swan uh which is produced by vice but comes from uh belarus um which is a um, I, mean, I think calling it a comedy is a generous description, but uh, that you know that's kind of interesting to see what different cultures find funny. Um, and so uh, my choice is the Breaker Uppers from New Zealand, um, ah. which looks interesting. It's yeah. produced by Taika Waititi. I'm hoping the comedy itself isn't going to be too much sort of enthralled to his style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a distinctive style, but I like the sort of low key, um, dry New Zealand humour anyway. Um, so this one is about uh, two women whose job is to break up. They run a breakup service where they break up with people um, so that people don't have to like go through the embarrassment or the awkwardness themselves, which is kind of a funny premise yeah. for something. Um, I've heard really good things from other people who all seem to have enjoyed it, and um, it's got some comedians uh, in it like Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Sammy, uh, who have directed and written it as well, um, and they're really funny. Yeah. So it should be good. Yeah, that one does look like fun. It's kind of like maybe an absurd version of Up in the Air. Okay. Because, you know, it's his job to fire people. Yeah. To, like, to take on that process that people are too cowardly to do themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how they go about it. Do they take the professional approach? Mm-hmm. More personal? Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing that could go in a lot of, like, weird scenarios yeah. and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's... People go... Yeah, people get messy. So, for the strand known as Dare, which is in-your-face, upfront, and arresting, films that take you out of your comfort zone. This has um, got loads of stuff in it that looks great, so does. what did you choose? Uh, well, my the one I'm most looking forward to is Chained for Life, which is made by and starring disfigured people. Um, it's set in the 50s about the making of a film within a film, which I think is sort of exploiting disfigured people. Um, and then in the 
the film, not the film within a film. Um, I think it's just exploring those kind of experiences. Um, it, I think it's gone pretty exciting reviews. Um, I'm definitely interested to see more films about made by dis- disabled filmmakers because I don't think there are many. They're definitely underrepresented. So, so the next category is thrill, um, which are thrillers. Um, I felt like that was a little bit of a sparse one, but there's some stuff in there like Dublin Old School, which was a massive hit in Ireland already, although I've heard kind of mixed things about that. Um, Maybe it's sparse because they can't give too much away. Uh, okay. Because it's a thriller. They don't want to set, they don't you know, want any spoilers in here. So they're just going to do like the first 10 minutes of the movie, and that's why you're thinking. I'm not writing off this uh, <laughs> this strand. Um, it just, it, I don't know, it just seems a little bit light, but um, <laughs> the one I have gone for does not seem like at all. It's called Profile. It's Tima Beckman Bentold's new film. He made stuff like Wanted and the Night Watch films. Oh, and his yeah. career's getting a bit on a bit of like a downward slope. So I think this is his, uh, you know, M. Night Shyamalan doing the visit style, like stripped back thriller. It's also on a computer screen and it's about um, uh, European people being uh, recruited by ISIS. Uh, who knows if that'll be super exploitative or if it'll actually... Uh, drives that uh, the burgeoning um, what do you call it, computer screen genre, <laughs> um, which I'm quite interested in. Yes, if, it, if it'll drive that f- uh, further forward. Um, I don't know something uh, computer screen. That's cool. Yeah, that is exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, however, it turns out, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll definitely be interesting, right? You, yeah. yeah, you can't make. Even if it's like a complete car crash, it'll be an interesting one. Yes. Looking at the cult strand. Um, <laughs> Which maybe is it, you know, is that speaking too soon? Can can a film be destined for a cult audience? I guess that's where they put your sort of like B movies or like genre movies. Genre, yeah. It's niche. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe it's some of these look like they could have some some reach. I mean, something like Mandy is, is that cult or is that like already like gone beyond cult? To... No, it depends how people like yeah, it, how, you... how they end up watching it. Mm-hmm. Um. What drew my eye was the French film Schools Out. Um, so I think a teacher kills himself, and let's see, six pupils glance on with chilly disregard. Then, when the substitute teacher arrives, he becomes obsessed with the crime, he becomes obsessed with these six kids. Um, it sounds like an interesting, sort of chilly, weird setup, and its inclusion in the cult makes it seem like it's, it's promising. It's got. Um, the substitute teachers played by Laurent Lafitte, who was last seen in L, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's like That's a cool. really famous comedian in France. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know That's that. That's why he's now taking on these like really dark roles. That's cool. It's, um, yeah, he's kind of using his his charm against yeah. type. Because he has a super sinister vibe, I find. He does. Like, That's great. Okay. He also could be like a traditional leading man. It's it's a good uh, star vehicle for him. Okay. I'm excited for that one. So after that we've got Journey, which is um, quite a varied uh, category, I think, quite a varied strand. It's kind of about like shifting experiences and like physical or mental journeys. I argue most films have some <laughs> kind of journey in them. Because, um, you know, you've got films in here like the Awesome Worlds documentary, They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, by Morgan Neville, but also uh, My Choices, Long Day's Journey Into Night, the Chinese film that premiered at Cannes this year by Gang B. That's a um, sort of like a crazy futuristic neo-noir that uh, two hours into its quite long running time uh, features like a very long extended 3D tracking shot. So whether that's kind of um, 
you know, uh, in your E2 to the max, or if it's actually something that's interesting and and ties the style of the film together. I'll wait and see. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I've heard mixed things, but good things. Son at the same time as the favourite. I think I'm going to miss the favourite to <laughs> see this one. Fair. Oh, you got to do that. Yeah. Um, I wonder how they're going to handle... Please put your glasses on now. Moment. Right. Because that tends to be reserved for kind of schlocky. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It's like it's 3D, I recall. How did they handle it? Uh, as they go into the... If anyone's seen Spike Kids 3D, it's set in a video game. As as they get put under and go into the game, it just flashes up on the screen, uh, okay. but in a kind of fun font. I wonder how they, they'll do it. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's good to see 3D used in different ways, even if it's not really something I get on with. Mm. Uh, so what's the next category? We're looking at Create. So that is about the... Films about the creative process, about creators. Um, there's a lot of documentaries on here, a lot of musical biopics, which is obviously exciting. So my pick for the create strand. So my pick for the create strand is Blaze, which is directed by Ethan Hawke. He's been talking a lot about it. Um, he's clearly very passionate about it, um, and it's about it's a biopic of the musician Blaze, who I think is best known as a session musician. He isn't, you know, he isn't super famous. And I think it will be refreshing to see something that's not got a traditional rise and fall narrative that isn't just about fame, that is about musicianship. Um, Ethan Hawke, I think when he talked about it, he said he he wanted to make it after making the Chet Baker biopic that he starred in, Born to be Blue, which I've heard is great. I do want to see it, but um, I'm curious to see something that wants to challenge biopics. So that's Blaze. Um, starring musician Ben Dickey as Blaze and Anya Shawkat's his girlfriend. She's always... How are you feeling about that one? Are you skeptical? Uh, no, I, I really enjoy. I saw I saw the Chet Baker film. Oh, okay. It was brilliant in it. Yeah. So um, yeah, this does seem like a kind of follow-on or a companion yeah. piece or something. So that's quite that's quite nice. Experimental. Oh, sorry. Yes. The experimental. experimental. Uh, so it's just more sort of non-narrative or experimental movies. Uh, I've gone for Doozy, uh, directed by Richard Squires, which looks. Uh, strange, but like a lot of fun. I, I'm a big fan of um, a big fan of Paul Lind, who was a voice actor in the '70s. But also, I like him most for he was in the Hollywood Squares. Have you ever watched that? Like no. that old t- uh, quiz show where they all the, all the uh-huh. celebrities sit in squares on each other, and he just had the most ridiculous one-liners. Like right. he was literally zinger after zinger, <laughs> and he has this just—he's like you, you can barely believe he's a real person when you watch these. Um, when you watch those clips so uh, what they've done here is they've animated him and they've put him into uh, live action footage um, and apparently it looks like quite an interesting like, interaction between biography and more experimental cinema it looks weird and I'm, I'm really into it um, yeah that sounds great it sounds, it sounds good uh, so is there just one more category? That's right. So looking at the family strand. So this is a selection of films that are a little more kid-friendly. So my pick for the family strand is Gordon and Paddy. Um, That is an animated Swedish film um, that is about an investigation led by Detective Gordon, uh, who is an old toad, and a young mouse um, who are trying to explore, investigate a difficult case. Apparently, it is um, sort of a pastiche of the Scandinois, which is something I'm ready for. 
Uh, I think that's great. I think that's yeah, definitely yeah. We're, we're ready for that. We're ready for that in the kids' movie, yeah. Yeah, but um, I've read a few reviews that don't make any reference to that, so I'm not sure where the comedy is really coming coming from and how much it does does do that. But. Yeah, but or is that something that like those reviews have missed because they didn't have that context? Maybe, yeah. But that sounds interesting. Yeah. And if you're heading to uh, LFF with kids, it's only one pound for kids for the strand. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's uh, good. So, get more of the kiddies in. So there is one more strand <laughs> we've got to look at. The treasure section where they've um, restored and revised classics. You know, there's loads of cool stuff. There's not just uh, classic movies like The Fog or something like It Hot, um, which are always great to see on the big screen. I want to highlight uh, Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie because, I mean, I, I saw that a couple of years ago. I didn't get it at all. I didn't <laughs> like it. And I'm a big Easy Rider fan. But this one just seemed like it was over the, the edge of just the kind of acid trip stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with um, Orson Welles' last movie coming out that's got the Dennis Hopper cameo in it and kind of seems like a similar kind of um, you know, lost in Hollywood sort of story, um, this might be a good time to look at the last movie again so it's about a stuntman who uh gets stuck in peru and ends up like making a film with the locals um it's really strange it's too strange but hey ho let's 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 give it another run yeah yeah the entire treasure section has got me really excited yeah how do you split your time you just watch them all i could literally just happily like do a festival that was just the treasures and watch all of these um we can't. So we're back. Yeah, so now we're going to post some questions and discuss them. And then hopefully by the end of the festival, in episode three of this little LFF, LFF we'll have some series answers. arc, we'll have some answers. We need answers. Think about these questions. Yeah. Uh, do you want to shoot? Yeah, first up. Fire, fire away. Um, fire I want to ask, <laughs> I want to ask, um, what will Steve McQueen bring to the genre movie? He's best known for 12 Years a Slave, um, big Oscar winner, which was last year for. Um, his first film was Hunger, which was a quite minimal movie about the... IRA soldiers stuck in prison. He fasted in protest. Yeah. Hunger strike. Fast. Hunger strike. Yeah. <laughs> Hunger strike. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> That movie's great. I think everything Steve McQueen's done has been interesting. Yes. Although he's not quite reached the heights of that first movie for me. Well, he did Shame. Yeah. And collaborating with Michael Fassbender. Shame's a bad, bad movie, right? Is like, it bad? I kind of thought it was um, sort of laughing at, like, the Fassbender cock, you know? Like, that. And if you can get past that, then there's a incest storyline that gets in your way again. So it's like, it just keeps putting these things in your way that Make it hard, hard for you to engage with. Hard for me to take any of it seriously, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I didn't read those things as funny. I read them as kind of like tragic. Like, even his penis. That was that was a, <laughs> that wasn't a nice that wasn't a nice penis. You know, that was just pain. You know, it was it pain was... penis. Yeah, <laughs> it was the pain pain. But but it was like it was so tragic that it was just like I'm supposed it to be funny. feeling really sad about his willy and that's like <laughs> do you know you know you know that kind yeah, of yeah it's okay that the the uh, urgency of the pain yeah. It was so intense it became silly. Um, is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess, like, yeah. Like, it's kind of good, but... I don't know. 
just, I, I can't take those sort of films seriously. And okay. 12 Years a Slave, I, I haven't seen since the cinema. I need to go go back to yeah. it. I feel like it's kind of problematic, but okay. really good as well. So We're definitely visceral. Yeah. Precise. Mm-hmm. I think he's always got a good performance out of his cast. He works well with actors. Absolutely. And he always directs really well, even if it's like, you know, the, the, the problems that might be in 12 Years a Slave. Maybe that's an episode for a future day problems in that movie aren't really like the fault of the directing or like mm-hmm. the performances in it it's kind of a wider contextual mm-hmm. question that, that the film raises okay. that you might not be able to reconcile when you watch the movie so I think that if he's bringing that to a really good Gillian Flynn script we know that she can spin a yarn through Gone Girl yes I mean I'm sharp objects I'm not still yet places. to be impressed by Gillian Flynn but yeah she's definitely got Potential. Um, this could be an interesting marrying of authors. Yes, yeah. So that's Widows, the opening night gala. Yeah. Um, about some widows who have to, they're being forced to clean up their husband's mess. It's got Robert Duval for one shot in the trailer, and that makes me <laughs> excited. Not James Duval. Yeah. Robert Duval. Robert Duval. Um, Duval? I've always said Duval, but maybe. Could be Duval. Duval. So, how do you feel about English accents in uh, a London Film Festival? There's a lot of English accents flying around, aren't there? Uh, so, you know, we've got Emma Stone doing an English accent in The Favourite. We've got Chris Pine doing, I believe, English, possibly Scottish accent in the Netflix film... Outlaw King. Outlaw King. Um, but, yeah, that is something to think about. Who will have the best English accent? You know, it's going to be a harsh audience, isn't it? Yeah. We don't want to be, but or it's, it's not just, unforgiving it's, of bad English accents. Look at Gwyneth Paltrow in um, in, in the, the look at Gwyneth Paltrow in Shakespeare in Love. God, yeah. She was uh, what, Emma. I don't know. Not good. I haven't seen. Not good. I don't remember being a problem in Shakespeare in Love. But Renee Zellweger doing Bridget Jones, beloved. Yeah. Beloved English role. So yeah. We're harsh, and if Emma Stone, if Emma Stone flops it then she could be falling behind and there seems to be this kind of like weird awards race between the three main actors in that film. Yeah. Um, so maybe Emma Stone will lag behind if, if she doesn't get that. So that would be the New Yorker Slatsmas film, the favourite. Got Emma Stone, uh, Rachel Weisz, who they worked worked with Yorgos in Lobster, The Lobster. And Olivia Coleman also worked with Yorgos in The Lobster. Um, I hope she's got a bigger role. She was great in The Lobster, but it would be great to see her. She's playing the Queen, actually. Yeah. That's another one where I watched the first 30 seconds of the trailer and was like, I don't want to know anymore. (laughs) So, I wanted to ask you, will Melissa McCarthy finally get her Oscar? She is starring as the lead in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, So that is the story of Lee Israel, who um, forged many, many letters um, from celebrities to make money. Uh, It's written by... Is that what it's about? Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was about, like... A mortician for some reason. No, no. In my head, I just like saw her with the gloves and was like, oh, "Okay, it's a film about mortician." No, no. I think that her she's wearing the gloves because she's studying like she's... sacred texts. Yeah. To okay. write her fake texts. Um, I think it was a big controversial thing. Um, and it's written by Nicole Hollisner, who I'm a really big fan of. Um, she Nicole Hollisner is a writer director who did who usually works with um, Catherine Keener. Most recently, she did Enough Said. Um, I think probably my favourite. That's favorite. a great movie. Yeah. I think my favourite Nicole Hollister film, maybe Friends With Money, uh, starts with Jennifer Aniston. Have you seen that one? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, I didn't think that was very good, that one. No, I think all her films are great. <laughs> it just depends what kind of mood, mood I'm in. Do I want really cynical or a bit less depressing? Okay. Less cynical. Um, and so which side's Strange of Money on? I think that is more depressing. It's more cynical, more depressing. Okay. You know, enough said that the... Yeah. Oh, I just found the characters so annoying. It was like... I you couldn't s- sit with them. No. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, will this Leah draw character? Where will she fit on the the Colossus scale of unlikable, unlikable? Mm. Seems interesting for her. maybe is that. Do you think why she's not directing it is because it seems like maybe a slightly different tale. It's a bio, biographical tale. So yeah, it's giving it to someone else. Possibly, yeah. Because um, she normally directs her and writes her own stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas this is, I think, I don't know if it's an adaptation. I think it is based on a book. But I think this could be, like, where she gets into, like, best writing category, which I don't know if she's been nominated before, but Maybe. this could be, like, a good chance to recognise her. I think, as for Melissa McCarthy, I, she, I feel like she's almost certain, like, a nomination, because she's wearing a wig and she has glasses and everyone loves <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, but she's not going to win. She's not going to beat the Lady Gaga versus Glenn Close battle that everyone's talking about. You think? Um, she hasn't got a chance. I don't think so, but it'll be good to, like, see her there. Uh, who doesn't love Melissa McCarthy again like needs the recognition or well, doesn't need it but deserves it she does deserve it yeah um, yeah I'm really excited for this one I think now I've seen Sarah's Born there's, she's, she's getting that Oscar that's... what makes you say that because um, all the best actress winners are always like in their mid 30s and do a slightly like uglified stupid thing to say but like a, a stripped down version of their persona to, to win so like Emma Stone is like when she wins in Lower La Land is like you know bearing a version of like the person who wants to break out into the stardom like this is that same kind of role yeah I mean it's a visceral it's a tragedy um, it is Lady Gaga is very vulnerable in it mm-hmm. um, yeah I fancy her chances in the Oscar race but you never know depends who's back in that campaign right? yeah yeah sure um, so my final question is can Robert Redford live up to the phrase uh, nuclear what charisma that's in his starring role as in The Old Man and the Gun directed by David Lowry um, it's I think a heist movie a gentleman bank robber played by Robert Redford uh, I'm not sure if he is going to do one last job I think he might just be he says this is one last role so it's one last role for Death Note um, <laughs> one last job for one last role yeah as has a romance with Sissy Sp- Spacek and Casey Affleck is a dogged FBI agent on his tail oh, of course we got Affleck back Affleck and back. Affleck and Lowry oh, nice. the team the team um, you know I feel like David Lowry is too like toned down a director to like let someone be really charismatic yeah I don't know I've only seen a ghost story I think with his work I mean, he, David Lowry seems to be a great collaborator. He worked for many years as an editor. Apparently, he mm. gives great notes to everyone's scripts. Okay. Um, so I feel like he would know to give Robert Redford the space to do that. But, but is Robert Redford, like, charisma machine? That kind of doesn't seem yeah. like how I've encountered it. I agree. I think nuclear what charisma. I've never read that before. I think that's really... You know, I'm trying to run through my head all the actors that even have that much charisma, so much charisma. Nuclear what charisma is like, you're talking, like, Christopher Walken type. Okay. Or, like, like M- Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids. Like, that's, like, uh-huh. nuclear, right? Like, yeah. that's... 
that's like overcoming the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. And know. Redford's like super charming and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen much of his later work. I don't think. Um, like, all is lost. Yeah. I so didn't... that's again him working with a young Jason director. Jackal, yeah. So did you see that? No, I haven't. All oh, right. I've, the only recent film of his I've seen is the Captain America. Okay. I like how they cast him in a 70s uh, paranoia thriller yes. pastiche. He's clever because he, yeah. obviously Three Days of the Condor is one of his better 70s movies. You know, what about... Um... Don't expose me as not being a Sting fan. <laughs> I'm not a Sting <laughs> no, fan. No, I was going to talk about... Um, I can't remember what it's called. The Deep Throat one. Oh, All the Prisoners Men. Yeah. yeah, that is really good, but I feel like that's not... Um, that doesn't rely on him. That's like a combination of like three great okay. actors and uh, uh, Alan J. Pakula as well. Just yeah. being like, yeah, just his his great direction. Only I referred to it as the Deep Throat one. The Deep Throat one. <laughs> that's the that's my least favorite of the three. Really? Of the Paranoia trilogy. Yeah. So it's all the President's Men. It's the last one. Parallax View. It's the middle one. What's the first one? Clute. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen yeah. all of them. I think All the Presents are might be my favourite. Really? Yeah, it's just that, that like, consistent work and work. If you just work it, it pays off. And then they don't even, like... They're so understated at that end. It is understated. It's but... great. And the music is... It's a really good... It's, like, a classic, but... Um, for me, it's just... Uh, like the mainstream one of the th- you know it's like the as in like yeah. it's him doing the stuff from the other two but to he's like playing to the audience a bit more I guess playing to the, playing to the crowd it's like a victory lap um, the other two are so triumphant and kind of experimental as well the, what's, what's, what's your least favourite of, tri- of the trilogy I think Clue just didn't interest me as much Jane Fonda is so amazing in it. Yeah, she's pretty good, but you know, that just—I mean, it's a weird. Like, I guess I have to pick a least favorite of those three, and that's just the <laughs> one. Maybe if I watch them in reverse order, if I built up to Clue. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd be like, Clue, it's just a victory lap. He's just, <laughs> just playing to the audience. <laughs> okay, so, what do you think is the place of the documentaries in this year's LFF? I like the way they have mixed some of the documentary films into these strands um, you know they haven't ghettoized the documentary all on its own um, a lot of the documentaries are falling into the create category so a lot of the biopics about the creative process um, but I do like that you can find documentaries across the strands um, like in debate there's unsettling which is um, an Israeli British film about an Israeli woman who's interviewing Israelis in a settlement um, about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, which is really interesting. Um, so it's good to see that alongside films, films like uh, Sticks and Rosie. Um, there's also the documentary official competition, known as also known as the Grierson Award. Um, how do you feel about that? See, that's not exciting me too much. There wasn't really anything in there that really took my fancy like I've heard of um, Bisbee 17 already but nothing's grabbed me but you had one that, that you 
Oh, yeah. You were really shy. I think some of them do sound interesting. Um, there's The Raft, um, which um, is about an experiment from the 70s where they put five men, six women on this boat um, to drift across the Atlantic and to see what would happen. And they kind of called it a sex experiment or the sex raft. And they're revisiting that experiment because apparently something, something weird happened. Um, so they're revisiting that. They're talking with the survivors, air quotes, um, to give them some dignity to come to some conclusions from that experiment. So I think that sounds exciting. It sounds cool. I mean, it, it, but again, it's like one of these, like that's going to be a lot of talking heads mm-hmm. building up to a grand reveal. Well, they've got a lot of the 16mm footage. Okay. Time. So hopefully a bit more of a, more of a collage. More of something, yeah, okay. I'm also quite excited for the Joe McEn- McEnroe doc in the realm of perfection. So, what, yeah, I've heard a couple of people take, talking about that. I enjoy a bit of tennis, so what's the... Um, so, it's about a particular match in 1984 against Ivan Lendy, um, and it's about how he plays, how he sort of performs. You know, he's famous for his petulance and his rage on the court, and it talks about how he uses the camera sort of almost as another tool in that performance. And then it's, I think it talks about sports photography, um, and then how the cameraman that shot that um, shot that match is also about how he used the camera apparently it's about spectatorship and you know the filming perfection Joe McEnroe's perfection I said Joe again Johnny John. okay so how do you think Park Chan-wook is gonna translate his style into TV with his new BBC show The Little Drummer Girl which is uh, a BBC show that's shown the first two episodes of here at LFF Hmm. Um, I think pretty successfully. I mean, he did his first English language film with Stoker, which I did really enjoy, especially the first time round. Um, and so I think, you know, he's a, I think a collaborator. I think he can bring this style to, to all kinds of things. Um, I guess the longevity of a TV series or a miniseries will be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a crime series, is that right? Or a mystery yeah, that's it. Yeah, so it's uh, I think the same writers that did the Night Manager, and it's got Florence Pugh, you've got Michael Shannon, Alexander Skarsgård, so it's got a stacked cast. Yeah. I just worry that like a lot of directors when they do their like TV miniseries, mm-hmm. um, kind of dilute their style or try and change it up too much to sort of fit the longer form storytelling, okay. and, and it doesn't always pay off so well. I liked the Night Manager, but it wasn't like Suzanne Beer film really. Uh-huh. Um, or even, I don't know, that Kerry Fuganoa has like that much style of his own, but when he does these TV projects, they uh, they have like bits of visual flair and then just end up looking like normal TV for a lot of it, where it's just kind of over the shoulder shots back and forth. When I was watching, the, I think, the actor-on-actor actor variety series with Rami Malek and Kirsten Dunst, they're talking about the appeal of TV and like how it's so much more character-driven. Um, so for them as an actor, that is more appealing to work in TV because yeah. you know you can really work through a character. So maybe that's part of the appeal for film directors as well. They can work through. Maybe they do want to focus more on the characters. Yeah. I'm just, You're missing um, that flair. I'm missing the flair. I feel like a lot of these projects like just I feel very bloated. Yeah. Um, I think the only person that really that I've seen that's done it really well switching between film and TV in the modern era obviously people like Fassbender did it but um, 
is uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, who did Big Little Lies and um, Sharp Objects, in addition to films like Wild and mm-hmm. um, The Dallas Buyers Club. Okay. If anything, he's like a super stylist on TV, and his film projects are a little less interesting. Okay. Um, but, I mean, Park Jean-Marc is pretty great, so... Yeah, I trust him. I think it'll be exciting. So, my final question on a similar vein is, are the Netflix films that have been screened here at LFF real films or are they like Netflix movies? Is there a distinction? If the little drummer girl's playing episode one and two, is that a film? Because it's going to be shown at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, this has sort of been an ongoing question of ours with Cinema Rediscovered and things like that. I tried to take a diplomatic view and say that, you know, with YouTube, within the internet, with... Netflix and streaming I kind of just try and see it all as screen media because you have actors and filmmakers crossing over and it is kind of all just the same it's using the screen to tell these stories um, but I mean you know there's not pretending they're, they are different modes of storytelling and filmmaking um, Netflix movie I want to do an air quotes because I feel like that does have really negative connotations you know there's there's a lot of Netflix movies and they're producing a lot of content and I guess there is the reputation that more often not it's bad rather than good. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not movies. <laughs> but I guess it's kind of replaced the TV movie when you just say Netflix movie. That's interesting, yeah. And there are classic TV movies that were shown like in England yeah. as, as films. Um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Um, High School Musical? Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, or stuff like uh, Alan Clark's films like Scum mm-hmm. were like TV films that are now kind of just considered movies because yeah. they were so good. Um, I mean... But I feel like a lot of the Netflix shows, oh, the Netflix movies have this weird sort of sheen on them. They look kind of different. They look, I don't know if they look brighter or what, like, something like Annihilation. I still, I love that movie, but it felt kind of different. It felt Netflixy. And there's something felt off about it. And I don't know if that's just watching it on a small screen, because I, I like watching movies on a small screen, I don't mind that. Yeah. But uh, the actual look of the films didn't feel as movie-like. And Maybe you've like got a bias. Um, it's colouring everything that they see. <laughs> yes, I mean, there is... I think that's just digital filmmaking, that's modern filmmaking. Maybe that's high-budget digital filmmaking mm-hmm. within Netflix. Right, so something like First Reform gets away with it, <laughs> but, but I saw that on a big screen, so is that mm. part of it, or...? I don't know. So I think an interesting thing with Netflix films, maybe shifting away from their look, is the content. You know, they don't have these age restrictions, mm. or they don't really seem to play to those those things. They're not trying to aim for specific rating markets. Um And so the content they, they kind of produce is sometimes missing some of those limitations. Um, like, I found it really strange with Death Note. Um, I mean, not... So that's an 18-rated film. There's, you know, it's really violent. There's a lot of, like, extreme language in there. And But it's about teenagers, and it's about the, like, hubris of teenagers and, like, that moral high ground. And not every film starring teenagers has to be about teenagers, but I thought it was strange that they were taking a teen franchise and not making it for teens. Right. But I think it, it probably was 14th in the same way that, like, when the Inbetweeners came out on DVD, that was an 18. Right. But they just showed it after 10 in the UK, and so it was... It's okay. And every teenager watched it, and, like, yeah. Skins is the same. I guess, yeah. 
No, that's a different thing. Unless you've got the child lock on it, your parents got them, and you're probably all right to watch anything now, right? Yeah. I guess, yeah, the true teenager wants an 18-rated film. Yeah. So what Netflix movies are showing at LFF? Uh, so they've got all the big ones. They've got um, Roma, which is up under the Quarren's new film, uh, which has got sort of rapturous reviews uh, when it played at Toronto and Venice as well, I think. Um, that's, but that's been shot on this super high-res digital, uh, and apparently most of it takes place in very long, wide shots. Um, so a lot of people are asking, you know, saying you've got to see this on the big screen because the mm-hmm. small TV is just not going to do it justice and there's stuff like the Coen Brothers Ballad of Buster Scruggs which I saw on a uh, well sort of a trailer on a strange like square format and that kind of made me start thinking about like how they changed up their look for Netflix the Autumn Wells documentary Developing When I'm Dead is a Netflix film yep. that will accompany the Other Side of the Wind his new film which I'm I have a prediction that's the midnight script, so that's the secret screening that they've got next Saturday. Um, it does seem like it must be the other side of the wind because it feels like it's missing from this lineup. It's showing up in all these other festivals. We've got the companion documentary, but we haven't got the other side of the wind itself. So that's Orson Welles' long lost, uh, almost finished movie that he made in the 70s. And it's a film about filmmaking, it's a film within a film. Uh, it's got a crazy crazy backstory that you can see in the documentary. I wonder, you know, I, I don't know the complete history of how that The Other Side of the Wind finally got finished, but was that with, with the help of Netflix? Yeah, it was. To my recollection, there was a crowdfunding thing that didn't get completed. They didn't make the money that they wanted to um, to get it restored by Scorsese and Bogdanovich. And so Netflix stepped in kind of at the last minute and sort of rested it. Okay. So maybe the hallmark of a Netflix movie is putting that money where these projects can't quite can't yeah. quite get it, and maybe that's the defining characteristic of a well, that's Netflix movie. Well, why people want to work, work with Netflix, right? Like, yeah. that's why Scorsese's going there, because they'll just chuck them $100 million and, Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe this is a good opportunity to watch them alongside uh, films and Netflix movies alongside the same screen, same audience, and see see which really stands out. Yeah, I think that's that's... Part of what's great about a festival like this is you can you can see them all side by side. You can see them with older movies in the treasures section. Uh-huh. You can see TV shows there, yeah. um, and it's all together as one. Yeah. And the shorts program, which and we haven't shorts, talked about, not, yeah. but definitely excited for that. I think it's good that they're doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, so you've got the whole breadth of screen media. Yeah, except for like makeup tutorials and ASMR videos. Yes, that's coming next year to the festival. It should be, yeah. Let's do a panel about that, maybe. Maybe? A panel? There should be a panel. Yeah, about the language of makeup tutorials. Right. What is the language of it? Just, hey guys, uh, don't forget to like... You know, like the editing style, like holding your hand behind the makeup so oh, so okay. the camera focuses on it rather than on, yeah. your, the, on the background. And, you know, there's loads of there's language. I don't watch enough makeup tutorials, I guess. That's, that's I guess one, you wouldn't. That's where I'm going wrong, yeah. Uh, you're like staring you're like searching into the distance right now oh, I just I don't know I guess just thinking about them I guess you wouldn't have watched them. not uh, even a hair thing no never well it is interesting you can learn a lot okay maybe you're like I want to try this new product on a new hairstyle and then you watch like 10 videos and you're like okay now I can do it 
but like I can't trust that because for me like anyone that's doing that is is um I'm, I'm judging them I'm quite I'm, I don't know I think depending on the personality you know you can feel the sincerity and they just want to help people some of them that's nice then, yeah you can feel like they're just trying to give you good tips and share their knowledge judge makeup tutorial coming soon yeah uh, so we'll be back next week uh, with a little bit more reaction we put the questions out there yeah. to find the answers yeah. um, and if you're around the festival then come and say hi you can find us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at judgemeviepod um, judgemeviepod.wordpress.com that's our website um, and you can email us at judgemeviepodcast at gmail.com and you can now download all episodes of uh, Judge Movie from your favourite podcast app, iTunes. I'm talking, I'm talking iTunes. Spotify. I'm talking Spotify. Google Podcasts. Stitcher. Yeah. Podcast Addict. I think I use Podcast Go. Okay. Is it on there? It's on there. See, it's everywhere. Anywhere you could ever want to get a podcast. But if you're listening to this, you would also probably already know that. Some people streamed it. That's true. So, anyway, it's there. Subscribe. Give us a little rating on on iTunes, if that's your bag. Yeah. Quarter jammed. <laughs>